I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. While you're doing that, let me um, just point out that our closing hymn is the correct hymn, but we're going to use the tune from hymn number 585. Uh, You'll notice that the hymn is in there twice. And so 585 will be the closing hymn. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 to 26. Hear now the word of the Lord. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and all his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment, for the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Father, we pray now that your spirit would direct our hearts to your word, that we would have understanding, and that we'd be equipped to live for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we have seen, no matter how hard he's tried, Solomon, he could not find meaning or purpose or satisfaction or happiness under the sun. He tried wisdom twice. I didn't provide it. He tried worldly pleasure. That wouldn't provide it. Work wouldn't provide it. And so it's no surprise that as we come to the end of Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon hated life. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind, says verse 17. That's where Solomon's quest led him. He simply hates life. And that leads to our passage, verse 18. Solomon hated life, and one thing in particular that he hated about life was all his toil that he toiled under the sun. I hated all my toil, which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Solomon hated work. Actually, more accurate is to say Solomon hated the outcome of his work in which he toiled under the sun. He's saying, but upon reflection, I hated the end result or the effect of all my work. And it's kind of interesting that he's saying that now because in verse 8, he said, for all my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And so it seems like a contradiction. We ran into this before looking here, but it's not. See, while doing his work, he, he, he felt the pleasure of accomplishing that work in the moment. 
He felt that pleasure. But then he started asking the questions. Can all this striving that I'm doing for my work, can all this hard work, all this labor, all this toil in which I toil under the sun, can it supply meaning to my life? Can it give me fulfillment? Can it bring me satisfaction? And his answer to that question was no. And so his frustration is not with work per se. Remember, his hard work made him rich. It made him wise, the wisest ever, the greatest king, richest king, that is, to ever live rather than his frustration. His complaint comes, is the fruit of his labor, has not served to fulfill his deepest yearning and deepest need as a human being. It provided some uh, distraction, maybe you could say. And so, but when he truly reflects, he's, he's just spent, as the saying goes. He's just at his wit's end. He poured in an incredible amount of physical, emotional, and mental labor into his toil. I toiled and used my wisdom, he says in verse 19. And what he's saying is, I worked at this with all the wisdom I had. And he had a lot of wisdom. And so he's working hard. And we see this in verse 22. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Striving of heart, that, that saying suggests that Solomon was fixated on solving this puzzle, solving this mystery. All his effort was poured into this one thing and trying to figure it out. He had a one-track mind. That's all he wanted to know. And so he worked very, very hard. And at the end of it, he came up empty. He said he came up empty. Uh, I worked my fingers to the bone is maybe the way we would say it today. He did it physically, mentally, emotionally. And, I, and, and in the midst of it, he's saying, look, I enjoyed it. Why I was doing it, I, I like doing it. At least at first, it, it made me the money that I have now. And yet at the end, I realize I'm totally empty. I, I have nothing. He was extremely fruitful and extremely miserable at the same time. And see, there's a lesson here, a lesson for us all, that satisfaction you derive from work is not merely tied to the income you gain from it. I mean, that's important. We know that. But that's not where ultimate satisfaction comes from. And see, because we often think this way in our materialistic world, Satan comes along to you, and he lies to you, as it were, saying, look, just a little bit more, a little bit more, just a little bit more, just one more car, just a little bit bigger house, uh, another trinket here, some other possession there, and you will find satisfaction. You're just a little short. He lies to you and tells you that. And if you're not alert, you begin to believe it. And so Solomon comes along and he says to us, no, I did that. I did it bigger. I did it better. I, I, will, I did it better than you will ever be able to do it. And when push came to shove and I, and I thought about it all, all that I gained, it only led to despair, says verse 20. And so if you're going to find true satisfaction in your labor, you're going to have to find it somewhere else. It's important that we learn 
this lesson. See, many of us think of our work, our employment as defining the essence of our life. You know, when people ask, who are you? What do I say? I, yeah, I could say I'm Christie's husband. Maybe I could do that. But I usually say, oh, I'm a pastor. Maybe you answer, I'm a mechanic. I'm a musician. Fill in the blank. I'm an accountant. Uh, I'm a preacher. We're defining ourselves by our work. But according to Solomon here, this is the wrong place to look if we're going to find meaning in life. And to make sure that we understand this, Solomon explains why this is the nature of the case. He explains why we cannot find ultimate meaning and satisfaction from our labor under the sun. Look at verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Solomon here is thinking, uh, with the end in mind, as it were. In verse 16, he was contemplating death. We, we talked about that. And so now he looked ahead and he realized that one day I'm going to die and I'm going to have to leave everything behind. I'm going to have to leave it to the person who came after me. I, I spent my whole life amassing a large amount of money. I spent my whole life building a home, accumulating a collection of uh, maybe some famous artifacts, or I established myself in Solomon's case. He, he was a king. He established a whole nation. But in the end, I can't take it with me, and neither can you. It'll be handed over to someone else who hasn't earned it, someone who's not strived for it, to someone who's not labored for it. Look at verse 21. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. So your money will eventually be managed by someone else. And they didn't earn it, but they'll take care of it. Your house will be sold. Your, your collection will go to auction. Your business may close down. Because who knows, as Solomon says in verse 19, if the person who comes after you inherits that money, if he was intelligent enough or or wise enough to handle it, or maybe he'd play the fool with your inheritance. Uh, The truth is, he, he may misspend it all, and yet he will be the master of all for which I tooled and used my wisdom under the sun. Again, says verse 19. Everything that you work for and you hand over to a foolish child or a partner or someone else, the bank, whoever, may, may misuse it. Somebody may take your reputation after you're gone and misuse it. Somebody may take your earnings. It may be the project you poured your whole life into. There's just no guarantee. Think about it. Think of all the stores or restaurants that were once popular that now don't exist. Maybe you've heard of Grant's. Some of you have. Most of you have not. I asked Nathan earlier. He's young enough to not remember. Think about the millions and millions of dollars, though. Invested in that, and it's gone. He invested his life. But more importantly, and to be taken more seriously, think of the millions and millions and millions of dollars of Bible-believing people's money that were given to institutions, schools, mission work that now deny the very faith 
that it was built upon. Think of churches, faithful, Bible-believing people, doing what the Lord asks them to give, to tithe, to, to provide, and then those churches, generations later, deny the gospel and turn away from the faith. Your successors can change everything, and that's what Solomon is thinking about. In fact, this is what happened to Solomon. If you know the story, Solomon reigned and following his death in 1 Kings 11, in a short period of time, his son Rehoboam manages to split the kingdom that Solomon built into two warring nations. And so you had this once glorious, rich kingdom established under Solomon's wisdom, all his toil and labor, and it was just ruined a generation later. Once he handed over the keys to the kingdom to his son. And so here lies one of the main problems when we labor and try to find meaning there. Under the sun, we can spend our whole lives working to gain something we cannot keep. That's what we do. And sometimes others even destroy it. And it's because of this reality that Solomon is, is plunged into despair. And note that verse 20 says, I gave my heart up to despair. He, he, he's evaluated this whole thing and he admits to bringing his own heart into a condition of despair. He worked at that too. And one writer said, his, he's his own happiness worst enemy. And knowing that everything he worked for will be lost, he feels hopeless. Now, that's a kind of a selfish way of viewing things because he will get nothing out of it. It was worthless, but that's what he's getting at. There, there's no good from it. The only reward he receives after all this work is sorrow and vexation. Look at verse 23. For all his days are full of sorrow and all his work is vexation. In fact, the thought of his toil, uh, his kingdom, or maybe more specifically his reputation and his self-image being tarnished in light of the loss of his kingdom, it keeps him up at night. Even in the night his heart does not rest, says the end of verse 23. And so despair, sorrow, grief, and sleepless nights is his only reward for his hard work. And so here we are again. I told you we we're going to keep coming back to this. Go ahead and work hard, and the outcome's despair, <laughs> sorrow, grief, and no sleep. Notice throughout the passage, verse 19, vanity, 21, vanity, 23, vanity, and again in verse 26, this is also vanity and a striving after the wind. Sorrow, despair, vanity. Uh, well, here, here's the unavoidable kind of depressing application uh, for you, for me. <laughs> if we try to find significance and meaning in our work apart from God, it will end in sorrow, grief, and restless nights. It'll just leave us empty, leave us empty, if we're willing to reflect at all. But see, for the first time in our study of this book, something's different here. All before this, it ended, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And now we have something different in our passage. There's this glimmer of light. Look at verse 24 and 25. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw... Is vanity of vanity? No. This also I saw is from the hand of God. 
for apart from him he can eat or who can eat or who can have enjoyment. Dr. Reichen says these verses are an oasis of optimism in a wilderness of despair. They mark kind of the turning point of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Not just the subject of work, but the whole argument of the book is being turned on its head. Martin Luther said these verses are a remarkable passage, one that explains everything preceding and following it. It's the principal conclusion, the point of the whole book. Here it is. Solomon's not going to give in to that despair. It was real, but he's not going to give in to it. In verse 24, we find joy. He goes from sorrow to joy. In fact, something better. He finds joy in the midst of his sorrow and grief. Notice what brings Solomon joy. In verse 24, he embraces the very things that he said already failed him. He says earlier he concluded that he hated work and that even the pleasures of food and drink could not satisfy his soul. But now he eats and drinks and works and finds enjoyment in his toil. What makes the difference? What changes the sorrow in verse 23 to the joy in verse 24? It's obvious. The text tells us the answer is God. For the first time, God comes back into the picture. Solomon is beginning to see the difference it makes to live with God instead of apart from God under the sun. Now, his message here. Understand, it's not simply all is vanity under the sun. It's also that joy comes from the hand of God, giving meaning to everything in life under the sun. Solomon insists that all of life is vanity, and yet joy is both possible and good. He's saying both. He embraces both. We get a picture of this in the Psalms. In Psalm 127, this is what we read. This is a psalm, it says, written by Solomon. Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And so here you have the same circumstances. You have the same work. You have, uh, on the one hand, you have toil. It can bring, uh, as you're toiling, it can bring sorrow. It can bring vexation. Or, on the other hand, this same toil, and that's what we have to understand, the same issue you're facing, the same thing that's bringing you into despair, it can bring joy and satisfaction. You know, some people talk about joy being the absence of pain or suffering. Solomon says, no, I can have joy in the midst of that. And the same work, the same toil, the same struggles in your life can either bring joy or they can bring sorrow. And the difference, Solomon says, is not something you work at. It's looking to God. It's God's providential presence. See, when we stop trying to take pleasure for ourselves from our toil, when we cease doing what we do for some kind of material possession, material return, when we, when we, when we stop thinking, well, if I just had the right job or the right employer or I got the right amount in my paycheck or if I was in the right profession, 
We have to stop that. It's not the answer. And instead, if we look at where the situation we're in right now, as tough as it may be, as actually just a gracious gift from God, then we will know the secret of enjoying life under the sun and our labor. The message is simple. Since all our worldly endeavors are futile, since all our striving apart from God is futile, We ought to find in this life enjoyment in the gifts God gives us every day. We ought to savor the moment and find enjoyment in our present eating and drinking and work. Why? Because these are gifts God has given to us. See, life only has significance. It only has meaning when we remember our Creator In fact, Genesis says, makes clear that we're created to work. You know, work wasn't a consequence of the fall. Well, before, if they didn't give in this sin, we wouldn't have never had to work. No, it wasn't a consequence of the fall. Toil in your work was a consequence of the fall. It's part of who we are to work. God is a, a, a creator. We're created in his image. We are created to work. And joy can come in doing what God made us to be when we seek to glorify him in our labor. Now, of course, Adam sinned, and so there is toil in our work. Work has been cursed, and it brings trouble. But there's still a basic goodness about work that comes from our creator, and that's because we were made in his image. See, as long as we have the correct perspective and as long as we work for God and not simply for ourselves, as verse 25 makes clear, it's impossible to have true joy apart from God. And so this is helpful. If you're having trouble, if I'm having trouble, here's a biblical principle we can understand from this text. If, if I'm having trouble finding enjoyment in life, It's because God is not the center of my thinking. It's the bottom line. It doesn't mean it's easy. I'm not saying, well, if you just look to God, close your eyes, you know, look to God, all the pain goes away. No, 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 that's not the point. But if I can't find joy in life at all, I'm not looking to God to be the center of my life. And that leads to verse 26. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and the striving after win. Now, once God was brought back into the picture, Solomon found three gifts. Three gifts. There's wisdom, knowledge, and joy. And all three of these gifts enable us to appreciate God's blessings and take pleasure from him. One writer said, it is not enough to possess things. We must also possess the kind of character that enables us to use things wisely and enjoy them properly. Solomon mentions food and drink. The scriptures talk about how how wine gladdens the heart. I mentioned this in a previous sermon. And yet, at the same time, it can be abused. And so, it's not just possessing, it's having the wisdom to be able to use things that God has given us wisely. The point Solomon is making is that we are incapable of creating anything good on our own. 
We, we can't. We are dependent upon God for any lasting fulfillment or meaning or satisfaction for life. Look, look at verse 26 again. I'm going to close with this. Notice that Solomon contrasts two types of people here. The one who is pleasing to God and then the other who's the sinner. Now, he's not talking about one good and one bad person who otherwise they're the same person. You know, basically, we're all the same. Some are a little bit uh, worse than others, and some are good. Some are gooder. (laughs) More better. (laughs) He's not talking about that, one good and one bad person. He's contrasting believer and unbeliever. He's not saying, look, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, so try to be good and please God. Rather, the reason these people are pleasing to God is because they've been blessed by God. If we live for God's pleasure, we will be richly rewarded with all the spiritual blessings that God loves to give his people. And so it's a contrast between believer and unbeliever. See, the person who rejects God, the unbeliever, they may gather all kinds of riches. They often do. But they can never truly enjoy them because God's left out of the equation. I mentioned this before, too, because Solomon returns to these things. It's the hedonistic paradox. The more we get, the more pleasure we gain, the less we enjoy it, and we just it's never enough. Solomon says riches may finally end up going to the righteous, in fact. Now, that's an interesting verse. Apart from God, it's not just that those in God will have more. Those not in God will have less. But those who are in God, trusting in God, those who have turned to Jesus Christ for their salvation, will have all. And those who are not will have nothing. Listen to what Jesus says. To everyone who has, more will be given. But for one, the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Do you see the stark contrast there? The unbeliever is going to lose it all, and we're going to inherit everything if we're a believer. So when it comes to the gospel, either you're for it or you're against it. There's no in-between here. If you're for the gospel, if you have trusted Christ for your salvation... If you're in Christ, you know him because he died on the cross, as the Scripture teaches, and then he rose again. And if you trust in him, your sins are forgiven. There's no meaningless work now. There is no unimportant labor. God sees it all. He rewards it all, and he blesses it all. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. But about those who rejected the gospel. Well, for those who have not trusted in Jesus for their salvation, maybe that's you. There's no blessing. You see, these are the hard truths. There's no meaning. Ultimately, there'll be no satisfaction. There is no reward. There's only emptiness. There's futility, Solomon says. And as we know, the Scripture teaches there will be judgment. Understand, to seek after the things of this world, and we all do it, by the way. I know we have a tendency, but to seek after the things of this world apart from God 
is, is, is another example of just vanity. Look at the end of verse 26. Solomon says it. He's, he contrasts the two groups, and then he says, this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. And so let me tell you, I, I, I can promise you, you will not find contentment. You will not find purpose or, or ultimate joy, sustaining joy or, or peace of mind of any lasting sort apart from God and Christ. Your hard work, the things you gather around yourself, when you stand in the mirror and you say, I'm a good person, you know, think good thoughts, all those things will not provide it provide the, the, the sustaining peace and joy and purpose you long for. But see, when you bring, as Solomon does here, bring God into the picture, everything changes. In, in Jesus Christ, everybody here who, who rests in Christ, who are united to him, can find contentment and purpose and joy and peace of mind in their labor since the believer knows, as Scripture teaches, that life and death and wisdom and wealth are all in God's hands, our loving, caring Father. And he wants us to enjoy his blessings. And when we enjoy his blessings as coming from his hand, he literally delights in it. His heart, as it were, is lifted up. And so stop trying to get out of work what you cannot find there. Stop. When you do, when you stop, when you finally say, that's it, I've tried, I cannot beat Solomon. Rather, recognize that life is a gift from God, a gift to be enjoyed, and that there is no enjoyment in life without God, apart from God, and that God alone, not things, not even wisdom, is the giver of satisfaction, is the giver of joy. And that God gives the righteous wisdom and knowledge and joy. And in the end, you will be fulfilled. See, when you do that, then you will come to know meaning and purpose and satisfaction in your work, in your labor, in your creation, in your gifts. And so, beloved, Solomon says to all of us this morning, savor the moment. Find enjoyment in your present eating and and drinking and working. But do it knowing that these are simply gifts of God and that ultimate joy, ultimate joy is found in Christ alone. Let's pray. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed these truths to us. I pray for all of us here, Lord, that our eyes would see that we'd be able to set our minds on things above where Christ is indeed and that we, we catch a glimpse of him as it were and that our hearts would be satisfied in him alone. In Jesus' name, amen.